0: trail and ultra runners. What is going on? What's happening? Welcome to another episode of the Coop Cast. As always, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. And on the podcast today is repeat offender, Carla Mayan, who you all might remember from Coop Cast 171, where we discussed one of Carla's books, which is titled Endurance Performance in Sport, Psychological Theory and Intervention, which today remains the most dog-eared and bookmarked book in my entire library. But today, Carla returns to the podcast to, to discuss something very different, and that is how women can leverage their athletic journey during maternity and the birthing process. Carla has a new book out called Empowered Birth that gives a framework to what many mothers who were also athletes have experienced. Athletes have this ability to take their experiences that they have had on the field of play and in the field of training and parlay them into being a parent, a business owner, or whatever other challenge life presents. However, all too often we are haphazardly applying those lessons simply because that is what we know. Overcoming athletic challenges is what we've been accustomed to for decades. And that works at times, yet at other times, does us a disservice. So Carla has masterfully distilled and encapsulated those learning lessons into this new book. And I wanted to, I wanted to bring her on the podcast today to expound upon some of the book's main themes. Now, although I've coached many women before and after becoming a mother, I'm the first to recognize that I need some help with this conversation. So to bring in some personalized context, I had one of my trusted colleagues, who's also a badass mother and a badass athlete in her own right, Stephanie Howe, PhD, to add her personal experience into the conversation. Finally, it would be cliche for anyone listening to this intro out there to pigeonhole this conversation into being one that is just for expecting moms. That is not the case. Although the primary audience with this podcast and Carla's books are expecting mothers, there are nuggets of wisdom that the entire support system, which includes me as a coach that surround the mothers can take away that are valuable for their journey as well. Okay. With that out of the w- out of the way, I am getting right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Carla Mayan and Stephanie Howe. Carla, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. I've, uh, like I said, the first time that you came on, I really appreciated your work because it helped me kind of conceptualize some sports psychology aspects that I was working through. And more importantly, it helped me like put a framework around it because we have all of these different kind of like disjointed ideas. It's almost like physical training, right? We have all these different ways of applying physical training in terms of workout structure and strength training and endurance training. And do they match and do they not match? And then bringing it all together is a whole different, uh, as you guys would say in the UK, a kettle of fish and that, 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 the, the first book that, um, that I was familiar with from you helped put all these sports psychology tools into kind of an organized framework and that helps me a lot. So thank you for that. The second book is going to kind of do the same thing, even though it's just recently out and I'm just, I'm just very vaguely familiar with it, or I would say superficially, uh, familiar with it, having, having kind of gone through the content. So I have no doubt it's going to serve that same purpose. So, so thank you for doing that. Um, before we jump into anything to with with uh, with any with uh, with a whole lot of detail, just give the audience like like a broad overview of what it is and who it's intended for.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you for having me again uh, on the podcast. really excited to to speak to you about this actually and and to speak to Steph about it too. Um so yeah, the book, as it kind of says in the title, it's about what can we learn from sports psychology on our journey. So it's the idea that you know, what can mothers to be? take in terms of sports psychology inspired strategies, people who are in sports or maybe they've played sports themselves um, have probably developed a lot of different mental techniques on the way. So how can they then use those to see that kind of maternity journey as a positive challenge rather than negative threat? So they probably have a lot more in their toolbox than they're aware of. So it's kind of building on what you've already got rather than trying to, to kind of start from scratch. And I suppose there's a couple of different themes that run throughout the book, if you like. So it's things like uh, building on your strengths, what I've just said, uh, but also how can you then approach that situation as a positive challenge? What goes into a challenge state? Uh, but also what's really important is to personalize your approach. So have that individual approach so rather than having one tool that fits everything, understand what you need, what are your demands? What do you need? So, you know, if you're going to fix your car, like, let's say you've got a flat tire, um, if you've never unpacked the jack, if it's still in like its packaging, you're not going to know how to use it. So you need to kind of understand what those tools are, how you can use it and how they would work for you. And there's no single one tool that fits for everything. So I think that's a really important thing to kind of emphasize and, and something that runs throughout the book. And then how do you know that works is through reflection. So it's that whole thing. Yes, we plan, we do, but we also need to reflect to then kind of understand what works for us and being able to adapt. So I guess... Roughly, those are kind of four very broad themes throughout. And obviously, with the audience is, you know, people on their maternity journey. Um, they can have a background in sports, but sports actually a really powerful vehicle to see something in a different kind of light. So even if you don't have a very strong background in sports, you'd still be able to relate to some of the content, maybe from a performance domain, uh, maybe from the performing arts, or you've done uh, lots of kind of presentations that are in the workplace or those types of things. And then it's also those who are kind of part of that maternity journey. So it could be the birth partner, but also, you know, if you're an athlete, the coach around that kind of understand that uh, could be the physiotherapist. So a lot of pelvic health is really important. So how can you engage the physiotherapist, but also midwife? So, um, there's a, a story in the book that um, I've interviewed women for the book uh, about their birth stories. And she's a personal trainer. She did a lot of kind of high intensity intervals. And um, her partner was very aware of that. And she really struggled at a certain stage. And he told the midwife and together they pulled together kind of her confidence that she had from doing those hit sessions to say, yes, she can do it. And that really helped her to push through some of those really tough, really high intensity uh, pushing stages. So it's not just for, you know, the woman on the maternity journey, but also the people around her to support her.
0: It's, it's interesting because uh, I've always had this experience that whenever athletes go through something that's like novel to them. And I would I would consider pregnancy and the birthing experience a, a novel experience, right? You might experience it a few times in your life, right? Versus training for an event that's going to be a dozen, a few dozen, four, five, six dozen events that you're actually training for in your life. Whenever you go through that novel experience, irrespective of what it is, and here we're going to talk about a, you know, a very specific novel experience, they rely on what they know and they pull tools into the equation. From what they have experienced more from a, almost from like a comfort standpoint, right? It's like a blanket that they can kind of like wrap around them because they know how to train. They know how to get up and, you know, get ready for a workout and plan out the season and things like that. And with athletes, they take, they just kind of like almost naturally take those parallels or or those analogies and bring them into these novel experiences and w- what I feel like this book is, 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 is doing very well is once again, it's putting like kind of a formalized framework around it. I saw Steph, like kind of like nodding about this because we were talking off air that her, her, her pregnancy and birthing journey was kind of a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind in her life and things like that. And I, and I, and having gone through that, like with you as a coach and as, as a friend, I could kind of see that writing on the wall. That it was just a lot. And whenever, whenever that's the case, it's a novel experience and a lot, you just kind of, Hey, I've been an athlete for my whole life going back to your skiing days. Right. I'm going to naturally pull in those things. And I kind of want to know from like your perspective, Steph, like you didn't have this formalized framework, but what did like, what did you draw from your like athletic journey when you initially knew that you were going to have to go through this process?
2: So much. Um, I mean, I think we tend to focus on the physical part of like dealing with pain and like I'm an athlete, so I can handle a lot of pain. And although that is true, I found that I like pain that I can control. This is out of my control. Um, So I didn't actually think that part for me translated that well. But going into the unknown, um, dealing with adversity, having to switch plans like the drop of the hat, um, having my whole like race plan or birth plan go out the window. Those are things I really drew on. And I think I, I mean, everyone has a, a very different and incredible, amazing birth story. And I think mine at the very end, I really drew on my athletic background because I was in a panic state. I had been pushing for four hours. He wasn't coming out and I was just losing it. And the, um, I think it was the nurse. She pinned me down and she was like, what are you doing? You are an athlete. Use this pain. When it hurts, push hard, like lean into it. And that's something that I, I do. I do think I, I recognized, um, from, Training, You know, like when it gets hard, you lean into it and actually went from like potentially having to have a C-section, emergency C-section to having a vaginal birth because that nurse knew that I was an athlete and she she pointed it out to me of like, you know how to do this, use use that. Um, and push harder.
0: <laughs> so, Carla, this is your wheelhouse, right? And I can see like the light bulbs going off because one of, one of the big themes that you pull out in the book is being able to control the controllables and to try to realize that there are going to be uncontrollables that you are not going to be able to like wrap your arms around. That stuff just that Steph just mentioned. Can you kind of like expand upon that a little bit and like give the, the just give the listeners out there. Just some strategies in terms of how that, how those two actually can parallel each other.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I love that, Steph. How you're the nurse is kind of capable of drawing on that, and that's what you really need, right? You kind of need to know who's there and what their strengths are, and, and draw from that. So that's such a, a great thing to, to hear that she was capable to do that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to perceived control, so when we see kind of challenge. Seeing something as a positive challenge. That's one of the ingredients for positive challenge. So you've got things like self efficacy. So you're believing your, your ability to do something successfully. So maybe that's around, you know, managing pain or, or those types of things. Tough as a, as a first time mom sometimes to kind of think about previous performance accomplishments as one of those sources to draw from. We can use things like vicarious experiences, having others in similar situation kind of done that well. Um, and then there's also that idea of, tackling things head on. So that kind of approach motivation rather than sticking your head in the scent, uh, which is very easily done, especially when you're kind of in pain, you kind of just want to ignore it, push it away, which is much more like a threat state. And then it's that sense of perceived control. So kind of having that real awareness of what's in your control, what's outside of your control. And this is such a key thing when it comes to the kind of maternity journey, um, feeling that you're out of control mucks up the kind of that hormonal equilibrium so you know you get like maybe get into that stress state cortisol jacks up which is helpful to kind of get the energy going but ultimately what it does it kind of suppresses um things like oxytocin which is a hormone that you need to push the baby out if you like to kind of get not push the baby out, but get the contractions going. It's, you know, you need to have those kind of like hormonal levels. So this is why control is such a key factor. So if you're trying to control everything, you get into the kind of this fight or flight state, you get in this like stress mode and it just feels like this is going to be tough. You know, if you want to control, I don't want to have like a cesarean for example, you know, if you don't want to have a C-section, you don't always have control over what the baby does. So Steph, like the example you gave, like sometimes you have to have that emergency C-section because that's just the safest way of for everyone out there. But actually, if there is some level of controllability there, which in this instance there was, like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's like really um, breathe into the pain. That's something that you can then control. So yes, you have a situation, but within that situation, there are aspects that you can control. And then there's those things that you just have to hand over in this instance to the medical staff and kind of trust their, their knowledge. And what I tend to do, I think with, with athletes that translates quite well to the book is kind of do this awareness exercise of what's within your control and what's outside of your control. So what's the situation, what are the demands within that situation and how much can you kind of stay in the task? And what are things that kind of take you away from that? And within that, how much can you control? So there's things like comparisons to others. You know, I, I've i been pushing here for four hours. The baby should be here. And kind of you know that the clock watching is a big thing, isn't it? And that's completely out of your control. And then what what then happens is you move so far away from kind of that task focus that it just becomes quite overwhelming. So what you had in that situation had someone kind of helping you to get back onto that task focus through reminding you to really tune into that pain don't see it as kind of, I guess, your enemy. Um, yes, the pain is much more intense than what you've probably ever experienced during ultra, because that's much more as, you know, you never go, I suppose, an RP of 10 out of 10, you know? Well, maybe it's, but you don't tend to do that for a whole you know, endurance race. But it's actually, when you go through that transition and you go into some of those pushing phases, it is a 10 out of 10, isn't it? Like, you just yeah. can't give anymore. It comes out of your toes. So it's about how do you then translate that? Okay, well, what can I do? I can still engage with my breathing. I can still have a really powerful breath to then push that. And then, okay, I've given it my all. I know I've given it my all. If I now need to hand over to the medical staff for an emergency C-section, it's fine. I've done what I've could. You know, as an example, so that's just one you, one thing,
0: you know, you're hitting, you're, you're really resonating with me w- uh, on this control piece because everybody out there kind of anecdotally knows that athletes have high levels of control, but I'm going to give a really specific example of this. So several years ago, we had this consultant come into CTS. It's a, it's a company of coaches, but we all have athletic backgrounds and they did a FIRO B assessment, which Carla, you're probably familiar with, but the audience is not. And all it does is it tells you your kind of emotional needs, right? And they did it as a group. And one of the kind of emotional needs is control. So there's three of them, inclusion, control, and and affection. And our whole group was off the charts on control, having all these athletes in there. We all wanted a lot of control and we all wanted to express our control to our to our peers. And I, I, I'm using that as it's a little bit our group is a little bit of a microcosm of the entire athletic space. I, I don't think that that's a, a, a big stretch to actually make because athletes are kind of athletes or athletes. So what my question to you is, is, is this element of is this element of control? Is it that when you're doing consulting with athletes, do you actually see that as one of the bigger parts of the things that they need to work through in advance given that they're in a that they're in a situation that they're not going to be able to apply a whole lot of control uh uh uh, to
1: yeah definitely i think it's that acceptance element that's that's really important so um in the book uh one of the chapters and steph already kind of talked about the birth plan overboard Thing that's actually the title of that chapter is kind of around uh, goal setting. And um, yes, it's you know, we always promote this whole idea of autonomy, right? So you want to have autonomous goals, goals that are meaningful to you, uh, that aren't imposed on you by others. Um, and that quality of goals is really important. But what happens a lot is that we, we tend to then develop this one kind of super goal that we want to. Uh, work towards, and you know, sometimes I label that as a as kind of a a do or die goal. Maybe it's better said as a do or fail goal. Um, and you know, if w- what you see a lot of that is that people hang on to that particular goal, and if they don't get close to it because of factors that might be out of their control, it imposes so much guilt and kind of negative, unhelpful emotional states. And so, what I'm trying to do when I'm working with athletes, and and what I write in the book as well is think about different levels of goals. So yes, if everything's fantastic on the day and yes, you know, in in this instance the baby is in a perfect position and you know, you're quite calm and have like a super smooth kind of transition between the stages, fantastic. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. So what is it that you can then revert to to still kind of not giving you those feelings of guilt? So maybe your your goal is that um I'm really going to kind of tune into uh, the experience and trying to see how far I can go. So, you know, like in Steph's example, what I've pushed for a couple of hours and I now acknowledge that, you know, there's not much more I can do. I've given it my all and that's okay. Um, and so you're kind of having those plans, A, B and C and yes, sometimes you can revert back up, which is exactly what you did there, Steph. Like you, you kind of were reverting to another goal and actually you were able to tune back into that goal. So it's not always that you're going downwards. You can also go back upwards. And I think that's really empowering to give you some control, but at the same time, giving you that flexibility can really take some of those stress levels away or tune those down if you like
0: it almost seems like like you have to learn you have to learn how to release the control from things that you have not experienced before right because you're trying to apply that mm-hmm. control like across like universally universally across the board but since the situation is so new or novel as i was talking about earlier you just have to realize that there are going to be these things that come up that you can't predict that you're just going to have to be you know what this is this is out of my control go ahead stuff
2: yeah, no, I think it, I exactly what you both just said of as an athlete, you want to control every single piece. I myself am a very type A person. I like lists. I like having a detailed plan. And <laughs> with birth, you can't really do that because you don't know it. Like there are things you can control. Yes. But so much of it are not variables that you can impact yourself they're out of your control. And so I think the flexibility, I like that word a lot going in with a, a plan, but being flexible that that plan is likely going to change. And I think when you're when you're open to that and it's not like a detailed plan of like a list of like, this is hour one, hour two, this is what I'm going to be like when I'm, you know, eight centimeters dilated. Like if you don't have it that detailed, I think that gives the room for the flexibility and the ability then to work through it in the right way for you rather than following like a strict um, list of rules that you've created for yourself. Kind of like what you do though for a race, you make, you make a fueling plan, you make a race plan, but then when you apply it, it never comes out like that, right? You have to change, you have to troubleshoot on the fly. You have to change what you're doing. You might have to change your full nutrition plan because you're getting stomach issues. So I, I do think there there are elements of both, of like the control piece athletes need to just like take a deep breath and know there's less you can control because they're new things. But then also think about what you've done in your past and know that you've probably had a really detailed plan, but have had to change it on the fly.
0: Yeah, I call that having a strategy, not a plan. Mm, Because when you have a strategy, you have like, and once again, I'm leaning on my coaching background here. When you have a strategy, you have themes that you're trying to angle your actions towards. Versus check boxes that you absolutely have to have. Steph and I are laughing because we always joke about Stephanie's elaborate lists that she starts out with in the morning. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna w- I'm gonna wake up and get out of bed and make my bed. That's the first thing. Okay, I get to check that. No, I get to yeah. make my list. Make my list and then check that check that thing off the list uh, or off the <laughs> checkbox. But anyway, I guess my point is 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 like th- that's the way that I that I internalize it is is you have to have strategies. That you're you that you're using and deploying as opposed to having these very specific endpoints that need to be met because the strategies offer a little bit of malleability to how you get to those endpoints versus strictly aiming at the endpoint
1: yeah 100 i think if you go straight to the endpoint and that's all that matters you kind of also don't take in anything that happens on the way there and yeah. so when we think about kind of types of goals Yes, you know, like those kind of outcome or performance, like a time-based goal. Yes, they're very helpful uh, to kind of give you that motivation and understand what needs to happen. But, but really, in the moment, it's those kind of process goals, isn't it, that you want to rely on and kind of understanding what the types of process goals are that will work for you gives you that sense of control back. So can you use breathing? So how, when you're overwhelmed, what happens to you? Like, you know, when you're in a, in a race and you feel completely, you know, you're tired, you're shattered and you're misnavigating, you're making a mistake. Like, how have you come back from that? Like, what did you do rather than, you know, focusing so much, okay, well, I'm not going to make my time now. And that's gonna, you know, make you feel really bad about yourself. That's not going to help you in that moment. Um, so it's about, okay, what can I now do to, you know, maybe, regain myself, uh, can I draw on some statements to help me navigate again to where I need to go um, you know maybe I'm so inwards focused I'm tripping because I don't see what's, you know, those stones on the path ahead of me, um, you know like wh- what can I do, can I maybe build in a routine to like focus outwards, inwards notice how my body feels and those are things that translate really well because what sometimes happens in birth is that we're so kind of focus on dissociating ourselves from the pain that we don't actually realize what's happening with our body. Um, so it's about kind of allowing yourself to sometimes tune into the pain. And as you know, you gave that example and that can be really empowering because then you kind of, you're, you're tuning into your body, you'll be able to communicate those levels of pain. And then maybe decisions need to be made around pain relief uh, that otherwise you wouldn't have done. And actually that will give you a much better experience.
0: And I'm kind of drawing on a podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago with, uh, Dr. Scott Fry, who's a neuroscientist. And one of the things that, that he mentioned that made a big impact on me is there, that our relationship with pain is malleable and we don't know what the kind of what the flavors and the extent, because I don't want to just like put it, put it in like, uh, a, a term of magnitude, right? Because it's different. You don't know what those are until you have actually experienced them. And that's the malleability piece of it. And so to your, to your point, Carla, of you don't know if it's going to go all the way down to your toes, right? (laughs) Before you actually do it, but then you experience it and you're like, okay, like this is just a different experience that I'm going to accept.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't know, Steph, what was that like for you?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I think my idea of an RPE of 10 out of 10 definitely uh, shot through the roof. I think I probably perceived I was at 10 out of 10 when I was at 5 out of 10. Um, so that, that was a whole nother level for me. <laughs> we're
0: we're, we're going to get into later, like how you can use reflection to then become a better athlete and a better person after having gone through this journey. But I kind of want to table that a little bit because I want to, I want to get to something that is kind of tangentially related to this, that you mentioned in the book, Carla. And once again, this is something that, that I identified a lot with as a coach. It's this element of personalizing the experience for the individual and that's a big role of what I do as a coach is I take these general training principles that we all know. Okay, we know how physiology adapts and we know how the cardiopulmonary system works and we know how the musculoskeletal system works and things like that. We're taking these big generalized principles and I'm tailoring down them down to, Steph, I want you to do a two-hour run on Saturday. Right. That we're from whatever principle that is, we're trying to pin it down to how's it going to affect that one individual based on any number of factors, how they've, you know, adapted in the past, what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their goals are and things like that. And and you mentioned this in the book that, that there's this one kind of, uh, I guess specific, uh, specific thing that generic advice is very easy to forget. And I want you to expand upon that a little bit, very specifically with this maternity and birthing journey, in terms of how can people who are going through this or are going to go through this personalize the journey for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, and I'm sure Steph can relate, there's so much information out there. And, you know, if you go to like a birth preparation class, there's a lot of kind of information being thrown at you, which is, you know, you digest some of it, but it's really hard to kind of remember everything of it and actually what's what's a good thing to do is to really think about what you what your strengths and what your weaknesses are so when you're thinking about these are the potential demands of the maternity journey what what do I already have like do I feel confident in my body I know my body is strong so I you know I can probably take off some of those things in the in a kind of you know, those nine months or, you know, in your case, definitely a bit less than nine months uh, leading up to it. Um, you know, these are things that I know. I know about nutrition. So you see this a lot with, you know, athletes, they they have a really good knowledge and understanding of how to look after their body. So actually, yes, I've, I've ticked that box. Those are things that I, I'm really good at. Um, but actually what I struggle with here is some of my self-belief because I, this is a completely new situation and I've got no clue what to expect. I feel that a lot of things are out of my control. So actually, those are the types of things that I need to work on. So then it's about breaking that down. How can I then fill my self-belief? So what can I do? Maybe it is about speaking to other athletes. So thinking about those vicarious experience who have been in the same boat, understanding their journey and kind of, you know, when that pain intensity ramps up to levels that are beyond what you've ever encountered, you know, what are some things that they found helpful? Okay. Is that meaningful to you? So maybe they use some very specific process goals and they drew on very specific statements. Okay. Well, what, can I do? What's a statement that would work for me? Can I put myself in a situation where, okay, maybe that pain intensity wouldn't be a 10 out of 10, but you know, can I put myself in a situation? Maybe, um, you know, for some of the listeners it might be a yoga pose or it might be like a, something that's, you know, you can do whilst on a maternity journey, um, whilst you're being pregnant, but that actually puts you in a position of discomfort. Can I practice some of those things? And so, yes, actually this statement works really well for me, but this, you know, I I will not remember that. Um, So it might be, you know, like... Um, I'm welcoming my baby, but for some people that just doesn't resonate. So, you know, for others it's more about my body is strong. I'll breathe through. I'll breathe into the pain. I can do this. So it's really about what's meaningful to you. is then how you remember those statements. And you know, it's it's this as I said earlier on. There's no single like strategy that fits every single demand. And so it is first doing that assessment. Just to what do I need to work on? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do you've already got and what are some of those strategies? And I cover a couple of those in the book that I can then practice on that journey to set myself up as much as I can in that kind of positive challenge state to put myself up, hopefully for in a in, in good kind of state, if you like.
0: Steph, is there anything that, like right off the bat that like you individualized for you?
2: Well, yeah, yes, sort of. So like Carla said, there's so much information out there. There's people telling you how you should do it, how you should think about it. And it's overwhelming. And so I chose to not really engage in any of that. Um, I didn't read a lot about it before. I, I mean, I prepared myself. I read one book called bringing up baby, <laughs> the French book. Um, and that's all. And instead of like trying to sort through all of that and get overwhelmed and confused, I just thought about like Carla said, like, what are the things that I'm good at? Like what, you know, like I, I do have a strong body. Like I know I can handle this, whatever it's going to be, whatever, whatever my body's going to go through. I know it. it's going to be able to handle it. And then focusing on like <clears throat> you know what what is actually happening and then again in early motherhood, like what does this little infant need? Not like, let me read a book to tell me how to put him down to sleep or how to make sure that he's eating or to change like I just and I not to take away from all of those guides, but I think we can overcomplicate it for ourselves when we take in too much of the information and not think about what we're trying to do. So with birth especially, like it's it's a very I mean, it's, I don't want to call it simple. It's not simple, but there's not like, there's like a, you know, a process that you're going to go through. And so I think when you break that down and think about what, you know, which is kind of what I did, um, even though I said my birth story was a little bit, um, I wasn't well prepared for it because he was a little early. I still think I handled it. All right. Because I drew on what I knew about myself.
0: You know, what's hilarious about that stuff? is like you're so academically rigorous in other areas of your profession, which I know very well. And, Yet when it comes to this, you're like, I'm going to figure it out myself. And you, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't do that when we like talk in our research group about whatever, like, oh, let's go, let's go talk about carbohydrate metabolism or something like that. You're like, I'm going to go to the research and I'm going to look up 20 papers and, you know, spend two hours reading them and marking them up and things like that. It, it's sure. just, I I, I kind of just want to know personally, like why the divide in strategy between those two, right? One, you're super okay. sci- You're, you're going to the literature and to material that's been written. Right. And the other one you're like, screw this. I'm going to figure it out myself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, it's a very maternal instinct. I think we have that in ourselves of like knowing what to do and um, it's two reasons. So I, I feel that, that I actually can figure it out because you know, like a child is an extension of you. It's like he was inside me, like he is part of my body. And so I I know I feel confident that I can, I can figure that part out. And then the other piece is I'm not an expert in that field. (laughs) And so that's the science hat coming back on of like, Oh, well, I can't understand all the research on like all of this. And, um, but that's a smaller piece. I think, I think it's more of like, I just, if I really am honest with myself and, put away all the noise or clear out all the noise. I know what to do. Um, And especially with like a little baby of like, he needs love, he needs food, he needs care. And I don't necessarily need a journal article to tell me how to, how to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's almost to Carla's point. If there's a lot of information out there, once again, if I kind of relate it to the training front, I, I would add a clarification to that. There's a lot of information out there that has been colloquialized to meet the masses. There's a lot of mm-hmm. research uh, that is in the physiology and coaching and training space and things like that, and we can draw a lot from it, but it, to Steph, to your point, not everybody's a domain expert, and so they look to the colloquialization side of it, and that's where we get like static training pr- programs, right, to this individualization yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. We get these these static training programs that are meant for a completely different journey, right? They're meant for the pregnancy and the birthing journey. And my same issue with static training programs would be, or my issue with static training programs would be that they cannot, and they are not individualized to a person. That same criticism can be applied to this like colloquialization of, of, of the information that's, that's more in this other world.
2: A hundred percent agree with that. And I think if I could hire a coach, (laughs) To take me through this journey that I could check in with every single day, um that would be the best case scenario um so i don 't know Carla, if you 're looking for a, a career um, addition to what you already do, but i think there's a, there's a market for it
0: there we go. We just started up a new yeah. uh new career for Carla. no no uh no pressure there um, and
1: I, yeah, so if I can just add to that, yeah. I think one thing that really resonates there is is one of the reasons I actually um wrote the book was that people who kind of attended some of these generic, you know, I went to one birth class um, and I did some some pregnancy yoga and, you know, very knowledgeable teacher, but I stayed clear from the books. I just, you know, for my day-to-day job, I'm already reading so much. I kind of stayed clear for very similar reasons that you've outlined as well. It's like, that's just going to be too expert and it's just not going to be resonating with my individual kind of situation. Um, But what I noticed is like, I became aware of how much I actually drew on a lot of sports psychology on my journey. And then when I spoke to other women afterwards and they all had these really good intentions of using whatever came up during the birthing classes or maybe using some you know statements, mantras, um, using breathing, or but they never really practiced it under pressure. And so there was all these like really good intentions, but it didn't translate into action. And I think that's where I hope with some of the information in the book, there's a space to allow people to actually narrow that gap between those good intentions, actually putting it into action because you've already done this. So when you've been out in like sports, you've already done some of these things under pressure, giving you hopefully that confidence to then apply it or trust your body. Like what you said, Steph, like I know that my body is strong and, and can handle this and kind of giving you that confidence. So, but you can only do that through understanding, you know, and personalizing your approach. Like, that's why none of these kind of very generic bits of advice will probably resonate if you don't really practice it. So you need to practice to actually own it.
0: Well, it's like you said earlier, Carla, you've got the tools, But it's a different it's a totally different thing from that to understanding that you have the tools and then actually deploying the tools to the task that they need to get deployed to those are kind of three separate steps in that whole in that whole deal. And if you have kind of framework around how to go through that entire process, this is the tool this is, I know that I have this tool. I kind of recognize that. And here's how I'm going to deploy it. If you have some sort of framework to like work through all three steps of that process, then that's, that's the only thing that's going to matter, right? It doesn't matter if you've actually done it before. It doesn't matter if you actually know it, it matters if you actually deploy it, but you've got to go through all three of those, uh, three of those steps.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I, I want to pivot to another area that, that was extremely interesting. This is, this kind of goes around identity and, um, Stephanie so and I kind of like went through this during your athletic journey, right? I mean, I coached you as an athlete, a very, very good athlete as a mother who was also an athlete or as a, as, as somebody was pregnant and also an athlete, and then as a mother who is still also an athlete. And I noticed the way that you just kind of your self identity, how that changed throughout this, throughout this entire process. But I want to kind of start out with with Carla, because there's actually been a reasonable amount of research uh, in this area with how athletes identify or how athletes identify within themselves at different points of this entire process. So, Carla, can you kind of like take the take the listeners through that and how that changes and also how we can kind of like leverage that that knowledge to then become better in each of those roles?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because um, when we think about you're starting out sports and you kind of start to develop that identity. You don't develop your sporting identity overnight. It takes time. Um, And a lot of times when you do sports, you have this quite big part of how you see yourself is defined by you being a, you know, an athlete. So, you know, it's called athletic identity. So a lot of times if you ask people to draw a circle and say, okay, tell me what chunk of this circle is, you know, defining you as an athlete, you probably see a really high You know, when you have a pie chart, it's it's usually like something like, you know, eight out of 10 bits of that cake are kind of defined, defining them as an athlete. And then suddenly that changes because you have to navigate this whole new identity after you've given birth. And sometimes you can make a little bit of a parallel with like a sports injury. So that kind of you know you can't at that particular moment in time play sports, and then you know that identity gets a bit of a, a hit, if you like. It's maybe not the best way of saying it, but You're hopefully fi- you kind like of get
0: that point. You, no, no, no. I, let, let's touch on that a little bit. Your physical capacity is different, and I've noticed this with every with every athlete that I've worked with that has uh, that has become a mother is there becomes a certain part within the within pregnancy, usually about halfway through, where there's a noticeable and appreciable amount of just physical difference that they feel within their capacity. I go from running eight minute miles to running 10 minute miles. It's usually, you know, maybe not that dramatic, but it's dramatic enough that they can actually kind of like pinpoint it. And that's a big part, in my experience, that's been a big part of the identity shift. They're like, oh shit, I can't, I'm not in PR territory anymore. Like we're taking all the PRs off the table for the next six months.
2: (laughs) Well, it's that. And what was interesting to me is that the, the 10 minute mile now feels like the eight minute mile effort. <laughs> so it's not just you're running slower, it, it feels hard to run slower. But, and that's something I didn't necessarily think about, but that, that impacts you in a different way psychologically as well.
0: But it's so yeah. logical. That's what always takes me aback. I'm like, well, didn't you, couldn't yeah. you forecast this? Like, didn't you kind of like, the writing's on the wall, Steph, like, come on. But it from when, when it hits, it's when different. when it happens.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it feels different.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I think that's why sometimes that comparison to kind of, especially that period when you just come back from an injury, um, can really resonate because you're, what you do is you're comparing kind of, you know, what it was before the injury, you're kind of coming back expecting to be at a very similar level. And obviously when you're pregnant, you know, your body you know changes and, um, you can still do a lot. And there's some amazing examples. And I'm, I'm really pleased that, you know, foundations like the Active Pregnancy Foundation in the UK, but also like a lot of people have now much more embraced and kind of promoting that whole idea that yes, you can stay active um, during pregnancy, but it does feel different. Like, you know, what you say, how you, how you run Your pace changes, but it feels like it's still the same effort level. Um, But then it's also that period after. So uh, Kelly Massey, who's at Liverpool John Moores uh, University, former athlete and now kind of doing her PhD, she's done an amazing study where she interviewed two um, kind of world-class athletes when they came back. So she kind of followed them and when, when they came back, And one of the big themes that came out from that was that kind of navigating that identity. What does that look like? And one of the examples that she gave, which I thought was was a wonderful example, was that rather than focusing on their PB, they were focusing on their post-baby PB. And that gives you back that level of control. So you're not trying to achieve something that kind of goes pre-baby, if you like, that might be 20 years ago or, you know, like... 10 years ago. So it's about kind of regaining some of that kind of perception of control, I suppose. But also it's about that appreciation that when you were an athlete, you didn't develop that identity overnight, you know, and suddenly when people become moms, people expect them to suddenly just get it as like, okay, well, here's your mom identity and here's your athletic identity. And then it becomes like a real um kind of conflict and there's been some really fascinating research papers out there um mckenna who's in um canada she's done some research around kim klysis quite a few years ago uh, like a media analysis of how she was portrayed in the media and the conflicting messages that would relate so on one side it was kind of her as a a mom and then on the other side was her as an athlete coming back and winning again so you know and then she had to try to navigate. It's like, where do I fit in with those identities? And sometimes they're really much in conflict. Um, So it's about finding that kind of identity um, where you can marry that up uh, without feeling a lot of that pressure, which a lot of times comes with that, comparing how it is with how it should be, um, is, is a big factor that comes in there.
0: This is an area where I feel like the athletic experience kind of fails mothers because... The athletic experience for for most people who are going to become a mother has lasted their entire lives, so twenty to thirty, maybe even forty years. You know, Stephanie, we joked that you had a geriatric pregnancy, right? <laughs> I like, know you don't like that term, but um, my point my point is is it's decades in most situations. Their their athletic journey has lasted decades, and yet their maternity journey is nine months, right? And so. Developing an identity across those two different timeframes that are so markedly different is in a lot of ways unfair. But yet, to your point, to your point, Carla, earlier, we're expected to be able to flip that switch very quickly. And that's not something that is, re- in my estimation, and my experience, having to having to work with athletes, having gone, gone through this journey. I, I don't think that that's fair. And that's something that I consistently tell them is, is like, you, you're not going to figure it out. You're not going to figure it out across this time frame because it's going, it's just going to take longer. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the athletes that I've coached that have gone through, you know, two or three or four children, they're the ones who haven't figured out the most. And a lot of that is just, they've had time, right? It takes time. It takes time to figure all that stuff out.
2: Yeah. I think social media does us a bit of a disservice, um, with this switch or not even switch with just this emerging of identities. And I, I struggled with it personally. I didn't think I would as much as I did. I thought I would be the person who three months postpartum, I would be back to running and I'd be happy and I'd be like, like, see you child. I'm going to go for a run and come back. And that was not how it was for me at all. And like, I adjusted to that piece, right. The physical piece of like, wow, I am not ready for this physically. Um, It's going to be a while. But the part of me that struggled was the part where I felt like I had to be relevant as an athlete. I felt like I had to be putting something out there on social media um, for external um, gratification. Not for me, but for showing that, like, hey, look, I'm still an athlete. I've been an athlete. That's how people know me. And I'm still here. I'm just, you know, working my way back up. Um, and if I'm really honest, I'm still struggling with that. But I think I also it doesn't feel like an injury, whereas an injury, you have that piece, but it's a really negative part of your life, right? This is a really positive addition. So I feel that, that struggle, but then I'm also like, but it's okay because I've got this other thing that really makes me happy and fulfilled and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, I don't know if that, that really gets to a point other than I just think it's, like you said, there's a a lot longer. It takes a lot longer to develop that identity. And then merging the two, I still don't know how we do that. Um, and I still somewhat blame social media for portraying that this is how it should look. Because I, I usually post photos of happy things, right? Most moms do. Like, look it, I got out for this run. I don't post <laughs> the, the photo of me like yesterday laying in bed holding the feverish child, um, all day, you know, like you don't see those things, but they're just as much there.
0: You know what also, um, I think everybody should be kind of cognizant of and stuff. I've mentioned to the, this to you several times, and I'm somewhat drawing on my experience of to Carla's analogy earlier, of managing athletes through injury is to forget the forecasting model take things as they're in front of you you might be able to get you know a few days or maybe a kind of a couple of weeks ahead or whatever but this uh to to use your words carla return to your previous pb right your pre-pregnancy pb or pre-birth pb forget that forecasting model because for some women that's actually pretty quick some women they just get back into it and they're freaking you know back on the track back in the mountains kind of in their formal former physical athletic self very very quickly Other ones, it's a couple years, right? And so I I just, I think that that whole, I think that that whole element of forgetting the forecasting piece and just taking things as they come is an extremely important part of that whole journey, especially once the baby is there, once you are a new mom.
2: One thing that I did when I started coming back to training, Coop, you might remember this, is I was doing workouts, but I wouldn't use my watch. Yeah. Because <laughs> and it was super helpful for yeah. me because then I actually yeah. enjoyed it rather than like really. oh my gosh I'm I'm way slower than I used to be so I think like letting go of some of that you know however that's defined for you as an athlete but like some of that those
1: numbers and just metrics I think is really helpful.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I think you're touching on so many really relevant things, and social media can be so poisonous. Um, in those terms, it can be helpful because you know it can be your perceived social support you know, network, like where people um, see how, you know, you, you can recover. Like there's a lot of things now around pelvic health and, you know, reaching out. So it's doing some really great stuff, but then at the same time, like these really raw experiences are rarely shared. So it's what then happens is that that performance narrative becomes very dominant and that, you know, navigating those two identities becomes quite a challenge. And, you know, especially with toddlers, like small children, you tend to get so many calls along the way, and so there's so many bumps onto some of the training, especially if you don't have um someone who constantly might look after the, you know the child, whereas you're maybe still the main kind of care care for the child. Then constantly you're going up and then you're going down, and you're going up and you're going down. So it's kind of that, those expectations of what that path looks like it's it's not a straightforward one and i think you know what you said jason that kind of forecasting model is just not gonna gonna happen but you need to have that appreciation of the coaches and the support staff around you and that understanding because otherwise it's it's just another layer of pressure being placed on you so i think it's a it's a really important point that you raised that there and kind of You know, forget about P you know, you you will do PB immediately, your post-baby PB, fantastic, and you know, build it up from there rather than you know comparing how it is with how it should be. But it takes for a really strong person to be able to to do that. And you know, that's then something that possibly you can start practicing during your pregnancy journey where you're starting to tune into how different it feels Um, to do that particular pace at a certain RPE and then kind of really learning to tune into your body in terms of the growth. And I think Jason will come on to that later, the growth that you'll then experience from that process um, as stepping stones rather than kind of constantly. And this is where those do or die goals come in, right? I think this is (laughs) kind of going full circle there. Those do or die goals, those one kind of performance or outcome-based goals are so much fueling this.
0: So we're, we're going to get right into growth because I I noticed this from the onset, like right when you first sent me the book, Carla is it's it's written in kind of this, almost this one way fashion, not, not exclusively, but predominantly in this one way fashion. And that one way goes, what can we take from our athletic experiences and, um, and apply them to the, this, this whole pregnancy and, and birth process. Right. But what I started to think is is because I have I coach a lot of moms, right? Ste- Stephanie's one of them. I think that there's a lot that we can learn from the uh, like the opposite direction. What from the pregnancy and the birth process can we then take into our athletic lives to make us better to make us better athletes and better humans, right? Better humans first and then better athletes second and uh, and you made a you made a really kind of astounding comment when we were kind of preparing for this podcast that you wish you'd spent more time on that and so here you got the platform to do it like like how does this work in the not in the reverse direction but how does this work in that direction right and so now they're on the other side of this whole pregnancy process they're a new mom or they're a mom for the second or third time like what can they take out of that process to now help them be a better better a better athlete
1: Yeah, I was reflecting on that, actually, because I did did talk about it a little bit in the book where, you know, we have all these narratives of amazing, you know, women coming back and winning gold medals and so on. But actually, that's not for everyone. So I think, you know, in the final chapter, I talk about the postpartum period and kind of, you know, what's happening there when you're trying to navigate that new identity. And although I've kind of talked about that growth a little bit. Um, for some women, that's quite a challenge. So um, I think I gave you that example that some women still feel guilty about the birth that they didn't have. Um, and so they get stuck in that rather than kind of learning the amazing feats that they've experienced and kind of accomplished throughout. So there's definitely scope to, 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 kind of really engage in that reflection so what I have done in the last chapter I talk about decompression as predominantly kind of focused on emotion so when you come back from you know maybe it's it's based uh, from the EIS or the English Institute of Sport um, who kind of developed this based on the Tokyo cycle where you know you come back and you have this humongous intensity of emotions coming over you like how do you decompress from that or you know so when you have a like a major event and like it's that kind of post marathon blues post event blues like how do you navigate that um but part of that is also kind of sense making and action points like what's the meaning coming out from this and how can i utilize that meaning for looking ahead um, in the horizon. So it's, yes, it's about decompressing and making sense of those emotions, but actually you can use that also as a reflection tool to then look forward and and have a bit of a, we say a framework around how can you then go forward and, and focus on your strengths. And I think there is a lot more scope. There's some research out there and like lessons learned from, you know, the maternity journey, but there's a lot more that we can do in terms of moving away from feeling bad about what might've happened during the maternity journey or pregnancy, but actually focusing a lot more on that strength model in terms of, Hey, I've, I've done something pretty amazing here. Um, what can I learn from that? Um, you know, obviously that, that applies to things have gone to plan. Uh, there's also obviously some really sad, um, examples that, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't overlook or, or, or forget, you know, yes, we are empowering, but we also need to make place for situations where that that's maybe not the case.
0: Steph, Steph what did you take from that? Because once again, I, I kind of noticed like a shift in you, I, I, I probably haven't done the best job of ver- verbalizing this, but like, you just kind of take stuff that's thrown at you a lot better. That's the best way I can describe it. (laughs)
2: Great way. Great way to put it. Um, Yes. I think I've become a better, more adaptable athlete because in the past, you know, things didn't go as I planned. I would. that would upset me or I would change my plan. Um, you know, if I didn't get a good night's sleep, I would sleep in and skip my workout or move it or, and now if I did that, I would never run. (laughs) So I just like, you know, I, I'm just, it's like, okay, I didn't sleep. Well, it's a Wednesday. That's just another day. Great. Here we go. Or it's like, okay, your window now, suddenly you can go at 11am and you just slammed a huge burrito, like go. I just think, I care less, but I mean that in the best of ways. Like I just don't put the same emphasis on making it perfect. I put emphasis on being consistent and and doing something for me and whether that be how I saw, how I thought it was going to be versus (laughs) reality, how it actually is. I think I take that much better now. Um, And I think it's really, um, my dad actually used the word, this word and said that motherhood has really softened me in, in a good way of just being a little more like forgiving of myself or gentle to myself of like, you know, if we were to look back at training peaks and look at the comments I wrote in like four years ago, they were probably like pretty hard on myself. Whereas I think now I I am somewhat, but I'm also like, Hey, I'm doing a good job. And my training is not like on paper, nearly as good as it used to be. But I think I just have this better perception of, um, things can go not as planned and they can still be pretty good.
0: So, okay. So here's my coaching moment that everybody gets to listen to on the podcast between you and I stuff. I think you're okay with that because we've been coach athlete and friend relationship for a long time. I would say I I would disagree with you to say your training is not as good now. It's just different. And it's perfect for what you need at this point in your life. And I think that that mental like switch that it's worse than it was before or not as much volume or I'm slower or whatever. You just got to take it as an individual experience and say, you know what? This is exactly what kind of what I need right now, because you'll adapt, you know, you'll adapt to training stimulus and you know, it's not, it's not going to be as much but that doesn't necessarily or as intense or as whatever, but that doesn't mean that it's worse, right? Worse versus better. It's just what it is for right, what this right now. I mean, even your story with the burritos, like I just slammed a burrito and I've got an hour right now. You can, you can drill that down and say, you know what? The quality of my workout is going to be reduced because of whatever. And you above anybody else can pin it down to the physiological kind of mechanisms but who, you know, who th- that's what you need right now. That's what you needed in that one particular moment.
2: Yeah, and I I do think I'm happier, which is a yeah. word I don't yeah. I don't really love to just say like I'm so much happier now, but I do feel a better sense of um my pie chart is a little more balanced in in a healthy way. There's not so much weight on an external performance piece because at the end of the day, I love this um Tim and Diana Fitzpatrick are kind of legends in the altering world. Many people know them and um, they had a young child and um, Diana won the Dipsy and her child said to her, but mom, when you come home tomorrow, you still have to wash the dishes. <laughs> so I think that's just a great <laughs> analogy of like, they don't care. They don't care if you win or lose. Like they're just happy to, to be there and you, you are going to have to wake up in the morning and change a poopy diaper anyways
1: yeah i love that and i think that's there's, there's quite a few examples out there i mean they're obviously anecdotal much more than yes there are some research out there that, that kind of looks at this and how you know like identity shifts there's some transition in sports there's i'd say maybe a dozen or so studies that have actually consistently looked at this and you know when you're talking about training peaks i was like i'd love to do a study on like Training Peaks comments of, like, women throughout that kind oh, of... Oh, God,
0: I've got them all. I mean,
1: how amazing would that be? Just I've got kind them of, all. Just do an analysis of that and kind of see what the themes are, you know, and how that may or may not change because um, there's so much scope. And I think that reflection is just so, so important. Like, you can't grow without reflection. I think that's, the, uh, I guess, a, a key. And I do talk about that in the book. Like, it's going to be pretty difficult to know what you've going to take away from this if, if you don't engage in that reflection and you know kind of love that also you know at the end of the day your identity it has changed it has shifted and you know being able to be okay running without a watch you know like some that doesn't happen then before right you're kind of addicted yeah. to the watch and it doesn't go mm-hmm. but being able to make those Uh, changes and being able to reflect that you can make those changes is really helpful. So I think it's about reflection, not just on the physical things, like what it looks like, but also kind of reflecting on that. What have you gained psychologically and so on?
0: Uh, So the themes that I take away from this is, is to harp on one that I mentioned earlier is to try to forget the forecasting piece because for every Chrissy Wellington or Serena Williams or whoever we want to put on a pedestal that has these amazing athletic stories after they have become a mother and they are amazing for every single one of those there are multitudes more that just don't they just don't happen like that right either by either by chance or circumstance or deliberate action whatever concoction of all of those kind of kind of come together but they don't get thrust into the spotlight. And that's why this forecasting model is saying, well, freaking Serena did it. Look how many titles she won after she became a mother. Like you don't necessarily need to take that experience that she had and try to forecast it onto your own. You need to individualize it. Coming back to that theme, you need to individualize it for what, for, for whatever the future is going to hold for you. And you don't know, and you don't know what that is. And then the the final thing that I'm taking from this is just reflection. Like there's a lot of what you can just go back and deliberately look at your comments and training peaks as we're very jokingly like talking about, but the whole process, right? It's not just simple as looking at the comments and training peaks. It's the whole thing and using that for, Hey, now what are the things that I've learned? Just like any other life lesson, what are the things that I've learned there that I can now apply into my life going forward and, and, or your athletic life and whether that's dealing with pain or being malleable or being flexible or learning how to kind of like work with a framework and not necessarily a detailed checklist, whatever those are for you, that kind of comes back to the individualization point. that's what I really take from that and how I'm going to help athletes in the future is just to just realize how this whole thing flows and what those major, what those major themes that emerge actually are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you've you summarised that really nicely. Um, it is really important to you know pace yourself. It's it's not a competition uh, when it comes to the maternity journey. Stop with the comparisons is very tempting. Um, we all do it, but be aware of when that happens. Uh, you know that perception of control comes to that individualization. individualization. gosh, what a word! <laughs> and then that practice and reflect. You know you've kind of got that all in there.
0: So Carla, I'm going to actually, I'm going to turn it over to Steph first and then Carla will kind of like wrap up with you with like the kind of the big theme that you took away from, from, from writing this book and what you want the listeners to take away from it. But Steph, as you reflect individually, what, what's the most dominant thing that you kind of like learned through this that you can apply to. Or that you would either would apply during the journey, kind of looking back at it retrospectively, or that you now take into your future role or your current roles as being a mom and being an athlete?
2: Yeah, I think I just am softer. I I don't know a better word to describe it, or I'm just um, a little less type A. Um, because I've had all these things thrown at me that are out of my control and I've had to just kind of roll with it. And that's not something that I've done in life before. I was always able to just like hunker down and work harder and get them back within my control. So I think that's something that really resonates with me and it's such a good thing for me for as a personality, (laughs) as, um, in my professional career. And as a runner myself, if you think about races, like that's just going to be so much better. If I don't sleep the night before or I miss a drop bag or my pole breaks, I'm going to be totally fine because that's no big deal, right? You just figure it out. Um, the one thing I will say, I, I wish I paused a little more on is that immediate postpartum period of time. Um, there's some, like research out there calling that the fourth trimester. And I think that's a really powerful time for women to just settle in. And maybe as Carla, you were saying to do that reflecting, like that's a great time to do it. And that's a great time to like, you've got this little baby and maternity leave um, sounds like a dreamy time, but it's honestly the hardest time I think of a woman's life because you're sleep deprived, you're physically not able to do much. You're you know struggling to, to figure out how to feed and change and your identity is thrown out the window. And I think that's a really vulnerable time, but a good time to just give yourself some grace, pause, maybe stay off social media and just reflect on, you know, what you've been through And that I think will help set the tone for, for moving forward and like really, I guess, leaning into motherhood and who you are as a person um, outside of that, because those, those can support each other if you let them.
0: Steph, to the softer part of things, I noticed, (laughs) you know, I think you probably can uh, imagine where I'm going to go with this pre pre motherhood. You were always somebody that would, you would woman handle everything. And it doesn't matter whether you're getting your PhD or you're going to win Western States or you're gonna, you know, figure kind of like whatever, what, whatever it was in front of you, you would just friggin' arm wrestle it to the ground and do it through sheer will because you could, <laughs> right. Because you could control That's a lot. Of, you could control a lot of that. A, a lot of that process that, that, that behavioral pattern, didn't serve you as well once you became a mom because you had more things that were kind of like out of your control so your 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 uh your change of becoming a little bit softer and kind of like letting those things go was, was was very was very palpable you still have the capacity to arm wrestle things to the ground like you have that in you regardless of whether it's an intellectual task or a physical task you still have that within you but you know where to apply it better and where to not apply and where the tasks that you can apply that against. And I think that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. I, I like that assessment. Yeah.
0: Okay. Carla, you get the floor finally to wrap it up here. What can listeners take away from all this?
1: Um, Gosh. Yeah. I think we've captured quite a lot, didn't we? Um, so it's, it's about kind of returning, I suppose, to some of those main themes of the book. So um, I'll start with the kind of reflection theme is, don't feel that you need to do this straight away. Um, so sometimes you just feel overwhelmed, and that's okay. Um, so take the time to, you know, even if it's just a a message you're sending to some friends, you can come back to that and use that as a a way to start reflecting. But do allow yourself to not just plan, not just do, but also reflect. Ultimately, to you know, you've achieved some some really great things there, and Engage your support team with that. So uh, don't feel you're on that journey all by yourself. So engage, you know, it might be the coaching staff, but also, you know, whoever was there uh, with you, perhaps during the kind of birthing journey. Um, so don't do it on your own. Uh, I think is a, is a key thing. And we talked a lot about kind of control and flexibility. And I think that's definitely one of the kind of key take home messages, uh, for people is, don't feel you need to control every single bit. Um, I know this is probably the hardest thing to do, uh, but think about how you can use some of those strategies to enable yourself to become more flexible. So whether that is through drawing into process goals, tuning into process goals, whether that is through uh, having some kind of self-talk statements to remind yourself to be flexible or whether that is to draw on things like imagery to see things in a perceive things in a different way or getting yourself into like a place that that's a happy place, for example. Think about Happy Gilmore. Uh, can you can even use that as a nice example of imagery. Um, and I think that's a really important thing. And then the other thing is pace yourself. Like honestly, it is your journey. It's no one else's journey. Own that journey, but don't feel you need to be a warrior and push through when it's not necessary to do so
0: really amazing concepts there, Carla. Where can, uh, I'm going to give you a final chance, plug the book. Where can people get their hands on it?
1: Um, so the book is published by Sequa Books. Uh, so you can either order it directly from them. Um you can spell it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'll leave caption. a link.
0: I'll leave a link in the show um, notes.
1: And it's uh, all the kind of main booksellers uh, should have a copy or should be able to, to order a copy. So it's Empowered Birth Uh, Lessons from Sports Psychology for Your Maternity Journey um, is the title. Or you can go to my website where there's a link to the bookshop as well.
0: This has been awesome. I'm going to leave links in the show notes to everything, including some of the research papers that we just uh, talked about because I've got those queued up right now. Um, I'm looking forward to getting to the rest of this. I'm about halfway through the e-copy. I'm looking forward to getting the physical copy. And the reason I'm mentioning that is that It'd be very easy and cliche for people to think, oh, this is just for people who are going to be new moms or think they are going to be new moms. And it's not. I am absolutely 100% going to use this in my coaching practice, probably within the next few months, because just the way things go, I just have athletes that are, you know, going to be new moms every maybe two, three times a year. And I'm, I'm, this is going to be another tool in my tool shed, you know, so Mm you know, to your point that you, that, that, that to be mothers can bring a village around them, that it's not just them going through this process. They can leverage other individuals. Uh, I'm going to take heart to that. And I'm going to, you know, put it, I'm going to sharpen this tool definitely. And this is going to be one of the things that I use to do it.
1: I think Steph absolutely loved your examples. Uh, yeah.
2: Thanks for, for letting me uh, join you both today. And thank you for all the work you're doing in this area. I think it's a much needed space for, for women to have resources. Um, so I also am looking forward to reading the book.
0: All right, folks, there you have it there you go. Much thanks to Carla and Steph for coming on the podcast today. This was a really fun conversation. And I got to tell you, I got a lot out of getting initial copy of Carla's book. It's something that I'm going to take into my coaching practice, something that I'm going to continue to work on as a coach and hope to develop that tool in my toolkit on how to support expecting and new moms all across the entirety of their journey. And I know a lot of you listeners out there who are on different parts of that entire journey and that entire spectrum can resonate with parts of this conversation. So I encourage you all to go and check Carla's book out. It is a fantastic one and I hope that she does well with it. Switching gears a little bit, next week is Western States Week. I will be out there supporting a number of athletes. I hope to see all of you out there. If you do happen to see me, give me a high five. Tell me what you want to see upcoming in the podcast. It is always a wonderful week to see the entirety of the trail running community rally around one fantastic, amazing race. I wish the very best of luck to all the athletes out there that are going to have to navigate the snow and the heat all in one race. It's going to be a really good one. Hope everybody tunes into the amazing coverage there. That is it for today, folks. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.